This is episode 41 of the Popcast. Hello, welcome to the Popcast, the pop culture podcast from Vernacular. We're your hosts, Maureen and Josh Goldman. Each week, we'll dive into the latest in pop culture with our three regular segments. First, the snack bag, where we cover some smaller stories from the past week. Second, the marquee topic, where we dive in depth into one pop culture story or event. And third, the teasers, where we give our suggestions for pop culture content you might have missed, but should definitely check out. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. As our listeners might remember, Maureen has been absent from the podcast for I the last so two weeks. I have so many things to say. Well, the first time, Maureen just wasn't able to join me, so I did a solo podcast, which I'm sure our listeners absolutely loved. I actually don't know if they liked it I loved it, or not. it. I listened. Thanks for listening. And then last week, we did our special edition baseball movies ranking. Also was awesome. Loved having Zach and Peter on there. Yes. So thanks to them for joining me on that. Maureen, you have some thoughts on I, the episode. I have so many thoughts. I took notes on my iPhone because wow. I had so many thoughts. Okay. okay. Let's hear the thoughts. Let's in a, in a nutshell and then we'll break each down. Okay. Yes to Chris in a musical, no to Apple TV, and yes to Veep. Okay. So, Let's break it down. This is from two episodes ago. And Josh had mentioned in his solo episode that Chris Evans is going to be in a musical. That he, he wants to be in a musical. Yeah. I don't even care what musical it is. I'm totally on for this. Like, yes, yes, yes. He's but is a... it just because you like him as an actor? Yeah. Okay. What other reason is there? I don't know that you thought he's supremely talented musically. I don't know. Well, I did he play some... mediocre in those clips. Yeah, I played some clips in the episode. If you haven't listened to it, that's episode 39. So go back and listen to Chris but Evans like, singing. Uh, like Amy Adams in Enchanted, I think it could uh, be I delightful. I think she can sing better than he can sing. I think he could do well in a role, like I said on the podcast, in Little Shop of Horrors. He could be the dentist. Like, you don't have to be the most amazing singer to play the dentist in Little Shop of Horrors. So I think that could be a good role for him. One thing I didn't mention on that podcast is that Sometimes I listen to the soundtrack for Sunday in the Park with George, which was a revival that starred Jake Gyllenhaal. And I play it sometimes in morning. is like, oh, is that Sunday in the Park with George again? Jake Gyllenhaal is actually really yeah, good. Yeah, he sounds really good. He can actually sing. And I was surprised when I heard him do that. So, so see, Chris Evans could be the same. He could be the same. But Jake Gyllenhaal did that on stage for like 12 weeks. That's different than doing it in a movie. Yeah. I think it, it is, you can equate it more to Chris Pine and Into the Woods, the movie. Mm. Another Chris, as he, I mentioned. He was medium. He was medium. Yeah. Okay, Maureen. Okay, so no to Apple TV well, was the second one. Josh mentioned that Apple TV would have their own streaming service and veto hard no, absolutely not, not happening. I want to cancel Hulu. I want to cancel Netflix. I want to cancel cable. What do you want to cancel? I, you want to cancel? What do you want to have? A book? I Maybe. I just don't think we watch that much TV. I would keep Netflix. If you asked me if I was living in a vacuum, I would have Netflix and that's it. If you were living in a vacuum, it would be kind of loud <laughs> to watch TV. <laughs> anyway, so no, we that will not be a trying bit more like a the Apple TV preview. We do not need well, access to that many I might things. be trying it. I might still try to convince you. No. Come on. Some of the content looks really good. I don't care. Find somebody who has it and make a trade. Trade okay. one of our logins for one of their logins. Okay. If any of the companies are listening, we definitely do not trade logins. <laughs> okay. The last one was Yes to Veep. So funny. We actually have an episode. We do have an episode to watch. <gasps> Maybe we can watch that tonight. Okay. So Maureen is a fan of Veep. I think I said that you were a fan, but anything you want to add about the show? Yes, you mentioned like your VIP, and I think you said Jonah was your yes. VIP, which is mm -hmm, okay. He's he's a little extreme for me. My VIP, other than of course 
the amazing Julia Louis-Dreyfus Northwestern alumni is Tony Hale, who plays her like right-hand man servant. Her bag man. (laughs) (laughs) He's hilarious. And I also think honorable mention goes to, I don't remember the actor's name, but the guy who plays Mike, the VP of communications, who like has background with Amy Poehler and um, Upright Citizens Brigade. His name is Matt Walsh. He's funny in like this understated everyone likes to kick him when he's down kind of way so yeah definitely check out veep okay you had uh, you had a couple thoughts on the baseball podcast and then we're going to get into two small snack bag topics and then a special marquee topic which i'll get to in just a moment okay so baseball podcast i had many thoughts one guys i gave the suggestion to josh that maybe when we have longer episodes like that we could do a part one and a part two since it was a little bit longer let us know know what know what you think yeah number two so delightful to listen to Peter and Zach and Josh all talk together. But I have to say, Zach and Josh, you're clowns. And I agree with everything Peter was saying. It basically, I don't think that we should have the category of accuracy because none of those movies are made to like accurately portray baseball. If you wanted to watch a baseball game, there's a million of them on every year on ESPN and ESPN2. So I was with Peter, who kept referring to himself lovingly as the Santa Claus, which I also thought was hilarious that he was like too nice. But Rookie of the Year and Angels in the Outfield, I mean, the fact that they were in the bottom five was upsetting to me, and the fact that The Natural beat them was horrifying, because I really disliked that Well, movie. Maureen, I do have and to point out- And The Natural was so much more unrealistic. He was, like, ancient. Robert Redford <laughs> was supposed to be playing this, like- Maureen, it is not more unrealistic- It is. It is more unrealistic than, a child, than Angels. Than a child pitching in the major leagues after he gets a medical injury, and Angels helping- a baseball team win. If you believed a little bit more, Josh, then we wouldn't have this problem. Anyway, <laughs> okay. I was team Peter all the way. I do want to point out that the Sandlot did finish. It in should have been third number place. one. You well, guys are clowns. And as I pointed out in the podcast, it was probably me who brought it down. I know. Maureen, do you want to give your little fun fact about Field of Dreams? <gasps> yes. My grandmother is in it. Yes. So and- I have family in Iowa, and Grandma Betty is an extra in the scene where they're at the PTA meeting and they basically told them all to make really angry faces. So if you catch it just right, you can pause it on her angry, angry face and it's priceless. Should she have won an award for her portrayal of angry? She won. She did win an award in my heart. (laughs) Good. A little bit of new news for our listeners. While I was in Austin, I was talking with Zach and we decided that we are going to embark on a new podcast, a new podcast mission together. It's going to be a Breaking Bad podcast. We're going to do a rewatch of the entire series and then do an episode by episode podcast. So each episode will focus on an episode of the show. Here is a little teaser for our new podcast called Breaking Pod. Hey, this is Zach from the Vernacular Podcast Network, and I'm so excited to share with you the latest project that we have in the works. It's called Breaking Pod, and it's an episode-by-episode breakdown of Breaking Bad, the TV show. Your hosts will be me and Josh Goldman, current host of the podcast, also on the Vernacular Podcast Network. And every week, we'll be breaking down a new episode of Breaking Bad in chronological order from Season 1, Episode 1, to the very end of Season 5. We'll talk about the best acting performances, the best scenes, we'll play excerpts where we can comment on them. But we also want to talk about the broader themes of this show, because lots of people think of Breaking Bad as a great thriller, and it certainly is that. But I like to think of Breaking Bad as a morality play, or a Shakespearean tragedy that has very important things about the nature of human existence to teach us, like to what depths the human heart will travel to get what it wants, or how our choices affect all of those around us, or how we can very easily be sucked into a vortex of our own decision making, even unwittingly. And that's what Breaking Bad is all about. We ask you to follow along with us. You can watch the show on Netflix and listen to the episodes, and you can find Breaking Pod 
wherever you get your podcasts. So stay tuned. Go ahead and subscribe to that feed if you're interested in listening. If you've never seen the show or you've seen it and you want to watch it again, definitely subscribe. We're going to have a lot of fun content on that channel. Okay, two snack bag topics this week. The first one, we got the first full trailer for the new Lion King movie. Life's not fair, is it, my little friend? While some are born to feast, others spend their lives in the dark. Begging for scraps. Everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. While others search for what they can take, a true king searches for what he can give. Run away, Simba. And never return. Take your place in the circle of life. Maureen, what were your initial thoughts about this trailer? It looks really good. I still think it's a little weird in live action. Like I kind of Mm -hmm. am like, I just want the cartoon. And I'm like trying to remember like what they looked like in the cartoon and comparing it. But I will say that the one thing that the live action trailer had me thinking was Simba's so little. Like he looks like a little kitten. Like well, he, he is he, little. I know, but like in the cartoon, I don't think you really get that sense of like, oh, he's a tiny little baby. And he's a tiny little baby. And can I just also say that like Scar, his uncle, really emotionally abuses him. There's some serious twistedness that you should never like say to a child. And he says like all of the wrong things. I thought the trailer looked really good. I agree that you do get a sense of how young Simba is. One thing that I would say about the movie, though, is that it's so weird to see photorealistic animals speaking and singing. I, I had this thought when we first saw the teaser and didn't actually see anybody talking. And you don't see that much of it in this trailer, but you do see some. And I think they purposely left it out. Like most of the trailer is just James Earl Jones narrating. And he's great. I mean, he him having him back as Mufasa is just the is best. Is he the only one? I think he's the only carryover yeah. from the cartoon. I will say that Chuyatel Ejiofor plays Scar he doesn't quite have the gravitas that I think you need for Scar. So I'm a little, maybe they should uh, add some bass into his voice before they finalize the cut for the uh, summer release. But I think the movie will be good. The animals just look adorable. Like yeah, little Simba looks like so cute. Them. Well, if you tried to hug him, he might try to maul you. Okay, so thumbs up on the Lion King trailer. You're going to see it. Yeah. In uh, theaters. Maybe not in theaters. Okay. You will see it. I'll see it when at it's like a dollar at Redbox. You know, we never saw Jungle Book. Yeah, we never live did. action Jungle Book. And that's on Netflix. Oh, let's watch it. I think it's on Netflix. Maybe tomorrow night. Eh, maybe not. <laughs> There's a lot of other movies I'd rather watch than the live action Jungle Book. Okay. Second and last snack bag topic this week. We got some casting news today for a big film coming out in 2020. That's a whole year plus from now. 2020? Who says that? 2020. 2020? 
2020 vision. In 2020. In 2020, the film version of the Broadway musical hit In the Heights will be released in June. For those not familiar, this is Lin-Manuel's first musical. It was on Broadway in 2008, and now it's coming to the big screen. And we got the casting news for the leads just today. No, he's not. He's not going to be in it. He's not going to be in it. Who's going to be in it? So starring in the lead role is going to be Anthony Ramos, who was in Hamilton with Lin-Manuel Miranda. He was also in A Star is Born. He was Lady Gaga's friend who was in like small parts of the film. Oh, yeah. He was great. He's good. He's in Hamilton. He plays... Uh, Hamilton's son in the in the musical on the original Broadway cast recording. So he's going to play Usnavi, which is the lead role in In the Heights. Playing the role of Benny is an actor named Corey Hawkins, who's actually a Juilliard graduate. I think he sort of blew up after he was in the film Straight Outta Compton, where he played Dr. Dre. He was really good in that. And then he was the lead on the 24 reboot, 24 Legacy, and he played an, a character called Eric Carter. But he's actually been on Broadway a couple times, so I have I have high hopes for him. I don't know if he can sing, but he's a good actor. And then in the lead roles for the women, we have Melissa Barrera. She's a Mexican actress. She's going to play the lead role of Vanessa. And then Latin superstar Leslie Grace, who's a singer, she's going to play Nina Rosario. Cool. So it sounds like we've got really diverse casting, which is not surprising because Lin-Manuel's uh, directly involved in this. It's being directed by John M. Chu, who directed Crazy Rich Asians. So I think that this could be good. I think it looks like they cast people who can actually perform the parts. Yeah, they, it sounds like they're all going to be singing their own stuff. Right. Which, like, come on. It will not be a Rami Malik. Yeah, situation. hashtag Rami Malik. You were great, but you should have learned how to sing. Are you a fan of this musical? Yeah, I like it a lot. I think I saw it on Broadway. Wow. With Lin-Manuel in the lead role? No. No? It was after he had left. Okay. But I'm pretty sure that I did see it. It's really good. I like it a lot. Is it better than Hamilton? No, it's totally different. So I think we'll definitely see it in theaters when it comes out. 2020. Here we come. 2020. 2020. For our marquee topic this week, we have something kind of special. Maureen will not be appearing on the marquee topic this week. That is not because she That's is... That's not what makes it special. <laughs> That's not what makes it special. No. The reason she's not appearing is not because she doesn't like the content that we're talking about. We're talking about Game of Thrones. We're doing a, a, a deep dive into the series before the eighth season premiere and final season premiere on Sunday, April 14th. The reason is because sometimes when Maureen and I watch a show, she watches from behind her hands. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so uh, Maureen said it was okay if I brought on a special guest to talk about Game of Thrones. Well, also, Josh has been like re-watching it, and I was like, no, once is enough. Like, yeah. I want to see what happens, and I'm going to keep watching, but like, this is the most graphic graphic and gore, like, and yeah, explicitness a- that I can handle as a person, and I can't watch it again. So. It's a lot. I brought on special guest and friend of mine, Mike Wilbur. So enjoy our marquee conversation about Game of Thrones right after this quick word from our sponsor. Do you ever listen to an episode of the Popcast and think, man, I'd love to give podcasting a try. Or maybe you think to yourself, that Josh, he's a hack. I could do my own show about pop culture. I'd want to keep Maureen though. She's great. Well, I've got good news for you. Anchor, the very platform we use for the podcast, is the easiest way to make a podcast. Their platform is super simple to use and gives you everything you need to make your show in one place, either on your phone or on your computer. And the best part? It's completely free to use. 
They have the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast, and they'll take care of distribution so you can make your voice heard everywhere from Apple Podcasts to Spotify to Google Podcasts and more. You can also make money from your podcast and get this, there is no minimum listenership required to start making money. So what are you waiting for? Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Okay, back to the show. All right, everybody. I am joined today for the Marquee Topic by a very special guest, good friend of mine. We go back many, many years at this point. His name is Mike Wilbur. He is a friend from college. We've known each other for, I don't know, maybe 12, 13 years at this point. Yeah, it's been a while. Sounds about right. Mike, thanks for joining me. I'm happy to be here. I'm very excited. So this week we are talking about Game of Thrones, the epic fantasy drama airs on HBO. We're not going to give too many specific spoilers, but we might get into a little spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen the entire series, uh, just proceed with caution at this point. So before we get into our conversation, I just want to give our listeners a little bit of background on Game of Thrones. As I said, it's an HBO show created by D.B. Weiss and David Benioff based on the epic fantasy series, A Song of Ice and Fire, written by George R.R. Martin. The show premieres its eighth and final season on Sunday, April 14th, which is just a couple days after this podcast drops. Despite the fact that the creator of the book series, Martin, still has two entire books to finish before he concludes the series in his own words. But the show has blazed ahead, and they are going to finish up this spring. The show has won 47 Primetime Emmy Awards, including winning three times for Best Drama Series. It features a huge cast. I won't try to name them all, but some of them include Kit Harrington, Emilia Clark, Maisie Williams, Sophie Turner, and Nicolaj Coster-Waldo. The budget for each episode has ballooned as the seasons go on. The pilot, which was shot and then actually reshot after a poor initial private reception, cost about $5 million to make. Each episode of season six of the show cost about $10 million per episode. So that was a total of $100 million for the sixth season. Its viewership is really high, and it ranks as one of HBO's most popular shows of all time. And so as we approach the beginning of the final season, I wanted to have a discussion about the show and sort of where it stands in the pantheon of great TV dramas. So Mike, the first thing I want to talk about today is what is your overall take on the show? And for you, as someone who's consumed a lot of pop culture in your time and movies and TV, where does it rank for you in terms of all-time favorite dramas? Okay, so and and I'll I'll kind of couch some of my remarks as well that I have read all of the existing books from the main story. There's a lot of kind of side books that he has uh, that George R. R. Martin has also written that kind of cover like the lineage of the families and why is he spending y- his time on those when he could be writing the rest of the series? It I seems mean, like man, we could talk about that for an hour. <laughs> the, the prevailing uh, <laughs> prevailing thought is that you know effectively he doesn't know how he wants to finish it, and so he's been doing these side projects while he tries to noodle that out. The other is he's just trying to make as much money as he can off of this while it's still a cultural phenom. And if you know the longer he drags out the release of those books, people will continue to buy and absorb those books in the interim. Do you think he's waiting to see how the show ends and he's just going to say, oh, that was a pretty good idea? Uh, I think he might know how the whole series ends. Yeah. Like maybe the final look, but maybe he's waiting to see. So there's five books uh, in the main story and we've had seven seasons already. So the first 
five seasons and books kind of more or less aligned. And, you know, if you could see my hands, they're starting in a V and just going further and further apart. That's kind of how that worked with the, the two narratives. Uh, he did consult on, it continues to consult on the show. And basically he gives them some big points that they need to hit so that there's consistency between the show and the books, but how they get there often varies pretty wildly. And and that's been, again, increasingly true as the seasons went on, kind of departing from the books and like the big ticket items still took place in both forums, but the, the path that characters took and, you know, some characters are consolidated because if you think there's a lot of characters in the show, oh man. Uh, the books are super confusing, but but also very good. Okay, so where does the show rank for you? Top three, easily. Okay. Um, of of favorite dramas, uh, particularly for for shows, and I, I think it's it's just so compelling on on a number of levels. And I trying to capture where it it fits in just kind of that world of cross genre is it has all of the political intrigue and nuance of like the West wing. Um, it's got the same kind of epic scope as Lord of the Rings and and the Hobbit and, you know, some of the, uh, themes of how to train your dragon. So, you know, there's a lot of appeal and I think for, for certain people, if they can get past the fantasy elements, it's, it's all about as with any good drama, the relationships and, you know, how these characters react to the situations that they're placed in. And it just, it so often strikes very true to just human nature and everything that you can't help but just get absorbed into it. What's interesting about the comment about getting past the fantasy stuff is I, I've been rewatching the beginning of the series and I know Mike, you rewatched the end of the series in preparation for this conversation, but there's actually less fantasy than I remember there being. I mean, there are dragons, so that's fantastical. There is some magic elements here and there. But overall, it really is a story about relationships between people. And and George R.R. R. Martin has stated that he loves Lord of the Rings, but one of the things that he wanted to do with Game of Thrones was that he wanted to show conflict between people and not necessarily between fantastical elements. That's fair. And and I think he he's very successful at doing that. Uh and you know, well well kind of the the overall uh, you know, villain of this show is the the White Walkers and the Night King, and you know, basically the the undead that live north of the Wall, uh, and that kind of, it, to a lesser extent, drives the first few seasons, and then probably around four or five, that starts to be like, oh, this is happening, this is not good. That's probably when we're getting into that territory, and I think this final season will feel a little more fantastical with that coming to a head with the dragons. I, I think it's going to end up more in the fantasy realm this final season, and I hope that they don't, as a result, get away from the the relationships that, that's made the show so successful. Yeah, I think for me, it's definitely up there in terms of, like, pure enjoyment for the scale of the show. You yeah. know, it, it's really pretty incredible what they've been able to accomplish, and I don't think it will be easily replicated moving forward. For me, it's probably not my favorite drama it has some flaws, which I think we'll touch on later when we when we get to some of our nitpicks. Um, but it does, I will say, probably have one of the coolest opening sequences and theme music that I've heard in the show. And it's one that I don't skip over. And and my wife and Maureen and I, I don't know why I said my wife, everybody listening to this. <laughs> who? Is, who? Yeah, Maureen and I sort of hum along every time we, we watch the show. So that it does have that going for it. 
Mike, I want to talk about your favorite episode or moment from the show, or if it's a series of episodes telling a larger story over an arc, what would you say is up there for you? I've got, I've got two. So I, there's kind of a, a vague answer and then a very specific answer. So the vague answer is my favorite moments, and it's incredibly morbid uh, that, that I get so much pleasure out of these, but there are some really satisfying deaths in this show of just that there's a lot of, there's a lot of deaths of people that you you love and you don't want to see die, and they they happen pretty spectacularly. But uh, there are also just these truly just terrible humans that knowingly make just disgusting, disruptive, uh, destructive decisions, and you just you want to see them get their comeuppance. And when you do, not only is it so satisfying to see them pay the piper, but it's also, the way in which they die is so satisfying and, again, extremely morbid. And I think we're going to get into the kind of the, the graphic nature of the show later on. Uh, so when when some of those true, just like villainous, despicable people uh, get theirs, it's super satisfying. My really specific answer is the Battle of the Bastards. The spectacle of that battle from from its inception and and I mean you know in a sequence of them leading up to this battle of trying to rally the northern lords and getting the wildlings to fight alongside them and they've got a giant and you know trying to retake Winterfell like just the scope of the setup for that battle uh, is incredible and in the in the run up to that you get to meet one of my favorite characters and then the execution of it I think is of any of any medieval style battle that I've seen in, uh, in cinema, in television, I think it is one of the best at putting you in the action and making you feel the kind of just terror. And, you know, it, th there's one point in which I have to remind myself to, to keep breathing and the way in which they captured it was just, is one of my favorite, uh, action sequences. Yeah. And that's not one that has really any fantastical elements it no. really does feel aside like, from the giant right which is just a big dude yeah at the end of the day <laughs> my favorite scene is similar in scale and that is a scene that happens in season seven it's the loot train attack really poorly oh, named yeah. uh, terrible name but <laughs> it's basically another big battle sequence this one does involve dragons so that's why it's it's particularly exciting and it actually set a record for the most people set on fire in a single scene, which was 20 <laughs> people at once. Oh, my God. That they had 20 stunt people lit on fire to sort of portray this this scene. It's just really cool in the way that they execute it. I mean, I, as someone who's, who's dabbled in some short filmmaking, I, I always struggle with how they pull off epic scenes like this. You know, the amount of coordination you have to have to execute these things successfully is just always really impressive to me. So that for me is probably my favorite standout scene. In terms of something more vague and and something smaller, I would say I really like the scenes with the character of Samuel Tarley. Yeah. And I think the reason is because he just seems like a really normal person. It's like if I was in the show, I would be like Sam. Like <laughs> I don't really have any prowess on the battlefield. I have some knowledge from, you know, reading books, but you know, I would be just existing as he does, trying to survive. And the conversations he has with other characters seem the most real to me. He has a scene in the later seasons with his family where you can tell that 
he has a strained relationship with his father and his father's never really been proud of him. And, you know, that to me is one of the more true moments in the show where you just feel like you really understand this character and where he comes from. So I, I really like the scenes with Sam. Okay, so let's get into favorite character. Let me start this off by saying that there aren't a lot of like wholly good char- good people on the show. So it does feel true to life in that sense. But it does make for an interesting watch as a viewer because I think we're accustomed to latching on to a character that we can see ourselves in and that we can fully root for. And so in that sense, I think probably my favorite character is is Jon Snow. But I think it's more to do with the fact that he has so many good moments on the show, but he does have clear character flaws without making him unreachable for a viewer. So for me, he feels well-rounded in a really real way. So he's brave, but he's also brash. He's winning, but he's naive. And I think what I like most about him is that it's what I liked most about Ned Stark in the first season is that he feels like a character you can really get behind. Did you have a different thought on your favorite character? Yeah, and so I was I I, I was specifically trying to think of a character that's not one of the leads. Um, and, and I agree with your your first statement a hundred percent that there's no true heroes in the show. Period. Everyone is very clearly flawed in their own different ways. Uh, and so as I was trying to think of like, whose scenes do I enjoy the most? Like whenever they're on camera, do I pay attention? Like, am I excited to see them kind of thing? Or, you know, are they, do I feel like they're kind of misunderstood? So my, my favorite character, let me guess it's hot pie, <laughs> hot pie from season, hot season pie. one and two. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and seven and yeah. seven. Yeah. He comes back. He was a good character. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Uh, is Liana Mormont. Uh, who is this like nine-year-old girl who is uh, she's the last living of her like noble family and is in charge of this place called Bear Island, uh, which is very small, sparsely populated. Uh, we, we've met a bunch of other characters. Uh, so Jorah Mormont, who's with Daenerys, and then the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch from the, the early seasons um, was... Jorah's father and the grandfather of Lyanna and so like we've been exposed to these folks but we don't meet her until season six I guess yeah for the for the battle before the battle of the bastards um I mean she would have been like two at the beginning of the show that's fair (laughs) that's fair she is the last one standing and is not only given deference but kind of rises to the occasion of being uh, a noble lady in a room full of lords who are you know 40 years older than her and she commands respect every time she opens her mouth. And she's just so no-nonsense. Like, literally everything that she says just cuts right to the heart of whatever's going on. And, you know, she's very diplomatic uh, while also calling people on their crap. Uh, and and very even-tempered in her reaction and responses and assessment of things. I just love her. She is amazing. Uh, and I hope we get to see more of her in season eight. The other character that I is is kind of second favorite for me, which will, might be a surprise, is the Hound, uh, who's objectively supposed to be kind of a bad guy. But if you look at his actions more than his words, he's actually a decent guy who has ended up through a series of one being part of a lesser family that's kind of pledged to a you know higher up family and, and has to do their their kind of wicked bidding and the fact that he's this enormous like hulking dude 
has kind of led him to be a pretty callous, unapologetic murderer. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, like he spares people that uh, he doesn't think deserve what they're getting. Aside from his language, which is atrocious, like he says the C word all the time, which is very off-putting. I, I just find him really compelling. Okay, so I want to get into some more, you know, generalities of the show. And the first thing I want to ask is, do you think the show suffers at all because of its scope? This is a huge show. It covers a lot of different characters over a long period of time in a lot of different locations. So in your opinion, does it does it suffer at all because of the scale and the scope? I, I think it succeeds because of the scale and the scope, actually. For, for people that kind of got into it later on and, and we were... We were in that group. I think we we started watching in real time in season three or four, so we kind of binged the first few seasons. The first few episodes are kind of hard to get into because there's a lot of different people. You're trying to figure out what's going on. But as with, I think, most shows that have this kind of, I'll say, cult following, you usually do have to kind of get over that first wave and then you're just, you're in and you're invested forever. So the scope, I think, is necessary and again having read the books for the show is even way condensed from the scope of the books of like characters are combined characters are written out whole events and like scenes and cities and locations are are written out so you know it's it is pretty expansive and the other point that i wanted to make and you alluded on it earlier of having one of the best opening sequences of a show i think that was such a masterful choice to have that be the opening sequence because this world is so sprawling and it's kind of hard to wrap your head around where these places are in relation to each other, why there's different cultural elements of like the Northern houses versus the, you know, Southern Lords and just getting to see that map kind of zip around and look at the layouts of the different cities and their relative position to each other, I think helps ground the viewer with that scope in a way that, just, you know, having a montage of, you know, full house characters like smiling at the camera <laughs> uh, would not have really helped. Yeah, wrong tone, too. Well, I mean, that's that's fair. Although lately, I don't know, some some stuff's coming to light. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I could see Samuel Tarly grinning at the camera. <laughs> you know, for me, Looking I think... Looking book, yeah. Yeah, you know, for me, I think that in the early seasons, I think that it doesn't suffer at all. And I think it's one of the things, as you pointed out, makes it really exciting. It's fun to to watch all these characters and see how they connect together. But I think in the latter seasons, it's stretched a little bit too thin. And I know that we're going to talk about some nitpicks of the show, and this is probably one of them. But I just think that at a certain point, there are too many characters and too many storylines, and some of which are not as interesting as others. So I'm aware that in the books, the character of Bran Stark who's one of the Stark children, plays an important role in the story of Game of Thrones. But the show hasn't really done it much justice. You know, he's he's a character who's very cerebral. He doesn't do a lot of action things because he's paralyzed from the waist down, this character. And so that storyline, when you put it up against some of these other more action-packed storylines, just seems to really drag down the pace of the show. And I think that in terms of, like, the scope overall... I think what they did well in the beginning was that they established really good rules about how people moved throughout the the fictional land of Westeros and how they interacted with each other. 
and then by the by the most recent season, season seven, they just sort of threw that out the door <laughs> because it felt like they were running out of time. There was some jetpacking. Yeah. Yeah. And and we can talk more about that in a minute, but I just felt like it's it's one of those situations where it feels like when they got to the point where they didn't have any source material left, they made some good decisions, but then they also sort of were confronted with a problem and they thought, how do we fix this? And instead of using what they had at their disposal, they said, let's just add, let's just add things. Let's just keep expanding. And I think that you can run into problems there because you can expand forever, but the show's going to end. And so we might not get, I think the same thing happened with Lost, which started out as a really strong show, but they just kept expanding. And And if you could see my hands right now, I'm making a giant V. And (laughs) And they're getting further apart. They're getting further apart. And I think that you could just expand forever. Like these things could go on forever, but they don't. And there is an ending. And so we're going to be left with a lot of stuff where we're like, wait a minute, they didn't even cover that. Like your point, we we probably will see Liana Mormont in the season, but are you going to get the satisfying ending you want for her character Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, well, exactly. And and the further you expand, the harder it is to tie up loose ends in a satisfying way for the viewers, which, right. again, I, I'd, I'd never watched Lost, uh, but living with you guys our, our senior year of college when that ended and uh, seeing the dissatisfaction on all of your faces after that final episode, uh, I was kind of vindicated of not having gotten into right. spending 10 years watching this show that was like, what? Wait, no, what? What about... Uh, yeah, exactly. And I think there's going to be, I think there's going to be an element, and I think we're going to wrap on on kind of our thoughts for season eight. So I'll I'll hold off there. But you know, for for Bran, as you mentioned, in the book, again, the, the if you think about the medium of media uh, and, and pop culture, Bran's a great character for the book because you get to kind of see his inner thoughts and, you know, his ability to kind of look back into the past. And, and right. It doesn't matter that he can't walk around. Exactly, because there's there's enough happening around him and you're getting his thoughts on it that that's really compelling. But in the show, yeah, it's, it's a little less interesting, and I think that's why they marginalized him a little bit. Yeah. I think that's a good segue into another question that I had here, which is, do you have any nitpicks from the show? And... Uh, I think that we touched on it briefly, but I don't know if you want to add anything about the idea that in season seven, they sort of had this jetpack ability to sort of fly around Westeros in, in an unrealistic way based on the rules that they had set up earlier. Well, yes. And so that was that was definitely the number one nitpick on my list was jetpacking. Uh, and what's what's funny about it is... In, in one scene, they will have just jetpacked a whole army across the continent with, like, nobody noticing kind of thing. And then in the, the next scene, you know, Jamie as commander of all of the, the forces of Westeros, the, the Lannister army, is talking about, okay, well, if we're going to march them north, we need provisions. Like, where are we going to get the grain? You know, we need <laughs> yeah, wagons. A lot of them just got destroyed. And he's going over all of the logistics of transporting these yeah. people. And it's like... Well, clearly that doesn't matter anymore, <laughs> Jamie. Right. Like, strap right. on the jetpack and let's roll. You what can are just we doing? go. Yeah, yeah exactly. So th- there were there were a lot of think pieces written about season seven and about trying to lay out the timeline of how characters got from one place to another and literally how fast they would have had to travel. Right. And the only reasonable explanation is flying on a dragon, which only one, one character does. Do. Yeah. So you know, it's a little unrealistic in that sense. The the one thing I wanted to point out, I wanted to get your opinion on is. 
One of my nitpicks from the show was something that was established early on, which is, and this is a spoiler if you haven't seen season one, but the character of Ned Stark, who is presented in the first season as the protagonist and as the hero, is killed off at the end of the first season. (gasps) Sorry. Yeah. Oh my gosh. His head is chopped off and the viewers who weren't aware of the story ahead of time probably thought, I didn't see this coming at all. And everything that was written about the show and everything that was talked about with the show was like, no one is safe. Like, any character can be killed off at any time. It's probably pretty true to the medieval times when characters weren't just assured of survival because they were, quote-unquote, a protagonist or a king or whatever. But for me, the idea that they came out and said, and that George R. R. Martin came out and said, I wanted to do this because then no one is safe, actually made the stakes less for me. Because every time I was watching a character, I thought to myself, they could die and you know whatever like i i expect almost expect every character to die at some point and for me that sort of takes away a little bit of the dramatic tension of is this person going to live or are they going to die because you're like well everybody's probably not gonna last does that make any sense yeah no i see what you're saying and like we went into it not knowing that ned stark died in the in the first season and they do a great job of kind of building him up as the character you're rooting for. Like he's the honorable person. He he has the kingdom's best interests at heart. You know, he's the... He he's, seems like the only honorable person right, in the whole and, show. And he's the only one that says no to power. Like he actively does not want anything to do with it and just keeps getting recruited in basically to death into serving a, a role in kind of power brokering. And... I think, again, like, they did a great job of making his death sting because you didn't see it coming. It was the first season. Uh, and, you know, Sean Bean is a huge actor to be in this thing. And, like, holy crap, they killed him. Oh, my God, no one's safe. So, yeah, like, it was effective one time. And then, like, the gimmick's up. Like, yeah. now we just know. So I, I agree with you that it's it's hard to get attached to characters in the same way that you did in season one because yeah. you know... I just feel like I, I'm not appreciating their growth and their change and their journey because I'm always thinking like... <laughs> yeah, who cares? They're going to die. Yeah, they're going to die at some point. And it's not... It, for me, it feels different than other shows where characters do die, but you're not expecting every turn that they take, they're, they're going to run into a sword or they're going to yeah. get their head chopped off. It just feels like by stating outwardly that no one is safe and that I did this for that purpose just sort of takes away, in a sense, the idea that you really feel and care for these characters, which is probably my other big nitpick of the show. I don't feel emotionally connected to a lot of the characters in the show. I really enjoy the scale and the epicness and the production of the show, but I don't go to the show and and feel really connected to Jon Snow or Daenerys or... Uh, and I'm not, I'm not sure you're supposed to, but... I was just going to say, I, I think that's interesting because, it again, and when I was trying to think of who my favorite, there aren't really any heroes. There's not one person where you're like, oh, man, I hope they really win and get everything they want because they're all so flawed, visibly flawed yeah. to the audience that it's you're just you're just kind of watching all of this unfold. And it's all really interesting and really engaging. But at the end of the day, again, because anybody could die at any moment, it's hard to maybe that's why is we we haven't allowed ourselves to be invested enough in any character because we don't want to set ourselves up for that disappointment when right. invariably 
you know, they're on the precipice of victory and up oh, dragon just ate their head. Like, <laughs> yeah, which I don't know. Season eight. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. To wrap up this conversation, I want to talk a little bit about, do you have any reservations about the extreme nature of the content? So there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of sex and nudity. There's a lot of language. You already mentioned that some of the characters spout the C word pretty frequently, which is not a, not a pleasant word it's really to hear. Not. And I wonder if you think that the, the show could succeed or would it have succeeded if those elements were removed or toned down in some sense? Because if you think about something like Lord of the Rings, which George R. R. Martin is cited as, a, as an influence for Game of Thrones, it doesn't have almost any of that. It has some violence, but other than that, it doesn't have any of the other elements that Game of Thrones has. But, but it also, uh, again, as you said, relies so much more heavily on the fantastical elements to answer the question at at hand does it suffer because of the kind of profanity the the gratuity the violence yes it limits its audience like i have you know we're i i am a fellow catholic and you know there, there is a lot that goes on in the show that is just like very cringe inducing and i have family that will not watch it because it's just too violent there's too much sex there's too much language um so they restrict their audience in that regard but if you think about again kind of this medieval setting and if we go back to the just very realistic portrait it paints of humanity of just flawed terrible people and like the amount of soldiers that are in the show and you know at, at the time the power dynamic that they bring up regularly uh, and again, makes this show very timely of, you know, just the, the subjugation of women uh, not really having a role. And another reason why Leona Mormont is one of my favorite characters is she was just like, you know, F the patriarchy. Yeah. It's realistic that you, you can, if they were being super cordial to each other in just, you know, this walking down this cobblestone street in the middle of this packed medieval city where people are throwing, you know, crap out their windows into the sewers that just run down the middle of this, like yeah, it was wouldn't a feel terrible real. disgusting time in history and you know fantasy history here but yeah uh you know that's it, it's just it comes off as very genuine no matter how off-putting is and it contributes to your the despicability i think of a lot of the characters that spout that profanity right yeah i think you're right i think that my interpretation upon rewatching. The, the early seasons is that it is more graphic than I remember it being like the violence is pretty graphic. Oh, yeah. the, the sex and nudity is, is really graphic. And I think that, I think you're right about that. It, it does need that element to feel realistic. I do think that they could have toned it down, but I think that because they were on HBO, they were like, well, we have the leeway to do it. There's a, the audience is there it's clearly after the gimmick. first. Yeah. Yeah. Just like we can, we can get away with what cable can't. Right. So we do exactly every episode as yeah. much as we can. Well, that sort of leads into my last question before we give our quick predictions for season eight, which is, in your opinion, does the show have more to say than providing entertainment to the viewer? Because I am not sure that I feel like it has a lot to offer in terms of things you can take away from it and really consider. And does it? Does it have a lot to say about human existence? Because it feels removed from our time, in a sense. Um, so I'm not sure where I land on that, but I'd, I wanted to get your opinion on it. It's the relationships between people that have made the show so successful, even when you have this like 
sprawling cast that makes a movie like Crash seem really succinct. <laughs> that the those kind of timeless themes of corruption of power, of family love, and you know, family above all else, and you know, take that as a ring further out to just kind of tribal identity uh, of you know, well we. We're pledged to the Starks, so we're Stark Bannermen, and when the Starks call, we come and fight. Like regardless of the the honor behind the the effort, is they they trust that they wouldn't call them for an unhonor- honorable endeavor, kind of thing. And just the the level to which allegiance plays a role in that show, I think is is very medieval, but it's also still very applicable to today. And you know, without getting us two sideways on this because you, you know, you know, my political leanings and, and feelings, uh, uh, which are to say, you know, not in either of the mainstream directions is, you know, the tribal tribalism is alive and well of I'm a Democrat. So you're a Republican, anything you say, I disagree with and vice versa. You know, that's, that is truer now than I think it's ever been in the history of our country. And, you know, bring that out to a global scale and just, shifting alliances and you know allegiances and you've got despots that are are truly crazy uh you know non-trustworthy actors on the uh on the global scale all of those things are playing out in game of thrones and you know nukes are a little scarier than dragons uh conceptually but uh not nearly as cool to watch and (laughs) so i think all of those those pieces and then perhaps the the single greatest theme throughout all of game of thrones that i see in real life is the aversion to change of well this is the way it's always been and why these new religions are, are getting such vehement opposition and uh i guess when when there's you know a new king or queen takes the iron throne and you see people starting to plot against them because oh for god's sakes not this again kind of thing is you know people by and large and I, I use that as kind of societal term, just want to stick with whatever's working. And if it's not working, they want it to change, but it's really got to get to a tipping point before there's that call for change because we abhor the process of change so much. We're willing to put up with a lot of crap. That dynamic is just rampant throughout the show. And, you know, I I mean, we, we see it play out on the news every day. We see it play out in our lives every day of just... Yeah, we could do that, but we could also just do what we've been doing <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> to wrap this up, and then this will get into some spoilers, but I want to get your prediction for what's going to happen in season eight, just broadly speaking. You don't have to get into specifics, but maybe who who lives, who dies, who tells their story. Hamilton reference for those of you out there. <laughs> like so, I've heard that before. Yeah. So what do you think is going to happen as we wrap up the show? So uh, I think the ending is uh, going to be revealed that they were all dead the whole time. Oh, um, yikes. That's a very lost ending there. Yeah. Yeah. It's very sixth sense. And then Haley Joel uh, Osment comes yeah, out and exactly. he's like, I've seen this. Yeah, yeah. I see all of you. I warned you years <laughs> ago. Uh, I, I have some some coworkers that are far more obsessed with this show than I am. Um, and, and, you know, like are down in the blogs and like following theories and everything. And a couple of the theories that are apparently kind of ruminating around the internet. uh, And again, spoilers is, you know, one that uh, this was all a dream of brands Hmm. of basically, you know, 
he falls out of a tower in the first episode uh, and I like rewatching, I was like, Oh my God, that was literally the first episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's crippled for almost the entire show. Yeah. And, and so it's like him waking up from basically this coma that he's been in. He's imagined all of this. Wow. That would be kind of a bummer. I, I agree. Um, but that's, you know, people think that's possible. And then another one. And again, because no one's safe, there's a real possibility that the night King wins yeah. that everyone dies literally like that. The last season is called Game of Thrones. Everybody's dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I could see this being the show where that happens, and not, and I wouldn't be surprised. You know, George R. R. Martin said that when he was talking about the ending of the story in his mind, he said that it's going to be a bittersweet ending. And I think if everybody dies, it's pretty bitter. <laughs> There's no really no sweet there. So right. I, you know, I think that it's possible, but I think it's unlikely that everybody dies. So here's here's my ideal scenario. Yeah, um, that would make it bittersweet, especially for me. Is uh, almost everybody dies uh, except for Liana Mormont, who <laughs> stabs the Night King with some dragon glass, kills him, kills all of his followers. So humanity wins. Basically, everybody's dead. But now she's queen of the seven kingdoms and uh, or whatever's left just ruler. Exactly. Yeah, I think that my prediction is I I think what's interesting is that you sort of have two conflicts going into season eight. You have the people trying to fight the undead, the the White Walkers and the Night King coming from the north. Then you also have in the south, you have Cersei who seems to want to still rule and kill off all of the remaining humans that are not her subjects. So I'm interested to see whether they explore both of those battles because it would seem a little bit anticlimactic to see this huge battle with the Night King and the undead and then have just like a normal battle with like regular humans for for like for stakes that feel lower because one is as they've been pointing out the battle between the living and the dead and the other one is just the battle for an iron throne if i had to guess you will see major characters die i will probably have little emotional reaction due to what we've already <laughs> talked about but i think that you will see major characters die for good this time and i don't know who they'll be but i think that there will be some living and i think ultimately the the night king and the army of the undead will be defeated if not if not fully extinguished will be defeated for the time and that is how the show will wrap up all right i think that will do it for our game of thrones recap and deep dive mike thanks so much for joining me on the podcast it has been my pleasure thanks for having me honey what a fun segment and thanks to our dear friend mike for doing that okay so let's wrap up this episode with our teasers. Maureen, I will let you go first. Well, actually, I'm going to bookend this, okay? So I'm going to go with an unteaser. Like Ooh, a, like have never had an unteaser. Like a do not watch. And then you can give your teaser and then I'll give my real teaser. So I, we've talked about this on the show before, Mamma Mia 2, and I was like so mad at Josh that he wouldn't go see it with me in theaters. And I recently watched it. It's on HBO, I want to say. Whew, guys. Are you still mad at me that I didn't No, it was so bad. It was so bad. I mean, it's enjoyable and it's fun. If you've got like young kids, I think they would totally like it. The music is good, but like there's no plot. Like the plot is so loosely woven together it's like you see someone and you see them like set up okay i have to sing this song now and then all of a sudden they're singing it and the context is wacky and it's not it's not great i almost didn't finish it so there you go (laughs) all right josh what's your teaser 
Okay, my teaser this week is a song. It's a song we've talked about, I think, ad nauseum on this podcast before. It's Shallow. But this is interesting because it's a cover of Shallow from A Star Is Born. And it's actually a really interesting take on the song. It's got a little bit of a different vibe to it. And so I really liked it. Tell me something, girl. Are you happy in this modern world? What do you need more? Is there something else you're searching for? you to check it out in its entirety it's a cover by a group called pumplemoose music <gasps> pumplemoose pumplemoose i found it on means? Uh, grapefruit yeah yeah grapefruit music i don't know if they they meant it that way but i found this on youtube it was a suggested video and so i hope you enjoy it too maureen what is your real teaser for this my week? real teaser is i watched the documentary um gaga five foot two and it's on Netflix, and it's just a documentary about Lady Gaga as she was kind of creating her album Joanne and performing in the Super Bowl, and it was really interesting. It's shot and edited in this kind of like like behind the scenes, like the narrative is very loose, and you get a lot of this, I don't know, I feel like you feel, they, the documentarian has tried to make you feel what she was feeling at that time, which is kind of unstable, kind of all over the place. You, it's just really raw. And I really like her as an artist. I got very into her, as we know, during Star is Born. So it was really cool to watch and see behind the scenes. And I liked kind of seeing how the album was created and how she is as an artist. It was just really interesting. I would love if you watch it to tell me what you think, because I had a pretty strong reaction to it. Like I was like, you don't see a lot of that in her public persona. And so it was nice to kind of see a little bit behind the mask. So check it out. All right, that will do it for this week. Maureen, it was great to have you back. So glad to be back, honey. I love you. We will be back with a full episode with both Maureen and I next week. So please join us for that. And thanks again for listening. Bye-bye. You can leave us feedback, comments, or questions on each episode by going to vernacularpodcast.com slash popcast. We would love to hear from you and we would especially love to hear what you want to hear about on the show. You can also reach us by emailing thepopcast at vernacularpodcast.com. Please also subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We put out a new one every Friday, and if it's not too much trouble, please drop us a rating or a review. It helps other people find our show. We'll be back next week, as always, sitting cross-legged on our bedroom floor with a brand new episode. Hello. Wait. Oh. <laughs> you didn't introduce the episode number. What's the number? Guess. 41. Yeah. <laughs>